Hello and welcome to Grapevine. This is volume 41, number 8, for week ending Friday the 26th of February 2021. Brought to you by the Great Jarmuth and District Talking Newspaper Association, this week's news includes details on the town's hope for a good summer season, your weekly local COVID update, warnings about a scam in the name of Royal Mail, plus details of the council tax for the coming year and an owl who broke the terms of the lockdown. I am Graham, your presenter, and joining me is Margaret, your newsreader for the week, who also has a look at the Mercury from 1962, plus Andy with another tale about weird Norfolk. News first though, and so a warm welcome to Margaret. Hello, I'm Margaret, and I'll be bringing you all the local news this week, as well as meandering through the Mercury of March 1962. Well, we now have so many more daylight hours. We have a dawn chorus, daffodils and snowdrops are appearing, and Monday is March the 1st, so goodbye February. And if that wasn't enough, Boris has shown us a cautious road path to normality. So, if you're sitting comfortably, summer is saved. Resort braced for full-on season. Great Yarmouth is bracing itself for a staycation surge, with visitors spending their pent-up pounds in the towns, clubs, bars, theatres and shops. Tourism bosses have shared their delight after Boris Johnson outlined his roadmap for lifting national lockdown giving the town the green light to fully reopen from June the 21st. And with its fortunes taking a turn for the better, council chiefs hope the new Yarmouthai big wheel, standing head and shoulders above everything else, will help fuel those high hopes. Peter Jay of the town's famous Hippodrome Circus said it was a punching the air moment after a year of uncertainty. And although it meant losing another Easter, it was worth it to be able to operate at full capacity during the peak season, he added. I think the summer is going to be fantastic, he said. Yarmouth is going to be packed. I'm feeling a lot better about it all now. And to lose another summer would have been disastrous for the whole town. Having a full summer will be fabulous. At Yarmouth's Britannia Pier, it means acts including Jimmy Carr, Sarah Millican and Jim Davidson can perform to holiday crowds, the theatre having been closed since March last year. Manager Keegan Snell said there had already been an uptick in ticket sales, which was pretty encouraging. It is looking good at the moment, he said. If restrictions allow, the acts will be coming. From day one, we've been very cautious. We shut all the clubs down before we got told to, but people are ready to come back out now and the numbers are going down. It's going to be a good summer. Albert Jones of Great Yarmouth Pleasure Beach was also upbeat. He said the roadmap laying out an exit plan for lockdown was a massive step forward and he was absolutely delighted. 
He added it was a shame to lose Easter with it falling so early. But in the long run, if it came at the price of saving summer, it would be all worthwhile. Under the government's roadmap, he would be able to open from April the 12th and was looking forward to welcome visitors the weekend after. However, he said he would be sticking to the booked sessions introduced last summer to limit numbers, enabling the business to remain flexible if the situation changed. Meanwhile, Paul Garrett at the First Down Hotel spent the hours after Monday's lockdown easing announcement cancelling bookings in March, April and May, having banked on an Easter opening. However, he said 80% of those had rebooked. I think it's going to be a good summer, he said, and we need it. People had a taste of it last year. A lot of people came who wouldn't normally and they thoroughly enjoyed themselves. The outlook from May the 17th is pretty good. At Gorston's Ocean Room, home of Bongo Bingo, there's still a lot of detail to work through, but operators were hoping some of the sit-down events could start again as early as May the 17th, with club nights resuming from June the 21st. Ben Jay said they were hugely excited to be reopening, possibly with a new decking and restaurant area in Pipeline. We need to see how the public feel about it, he added. We're not going to be irresponsible. We want to make sure everyone is happy with it and that people who come in will be able to party in a safe way. At Great Yarmouth Racecourse, director Glenn Tubby said it was too early to put key dates like Ladies Day on the calendar. We will see the public back on our racecourse this year, he said. Initially, it would be in reduced numbers, but I do not know when that will be. Council leader Carl Smith also has high hopes for the summer. All our hotels will be full and people will come and see the great things we have to offer. We have some fantastic attractions and lots of heritage, as well as the new wheel, the pleasure beach and fantastic beaches. In terms of festivals, it was too early to be sure of what could yet go ahead. The Maritime Festival had definitely been cancelled for 2021, but there was still a chance for the Wheels Festival, which had been moved to September, he said. After the first lockdown ended, Great Yarmouth was well supported, with a busy seafront proving a demand for all the town had to offer. We had a fantastic few weeks, and we're looking forward to the same bounce, he added. Roll out those lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer. Those days of soda and pretzels and beer. Roll out those lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer. Dust off the sun and moon and sing a song of cheer. Just fill your basket full of sandwiches and wieners Then lock the house up, now you're set And on the beach you'll see the girls in their bikinis As cute as ever, but they never get them wet Roll out those lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer Those days of soda and pretzels and Roll out those lazy, hazy, crazy days of sun.
wish that summer could always be here. You'll wish that summer could always be here. You'll wish that summer could always be here. Well, never mind all your nightclubs and bongo bingo opening. I just want to get my hair cut on April the 12th. Woohoo! <laughs> Nothing we can put our finger on. Great Yarmouth sees rise in Covid rate. Great Yarmouth's council leader said it's going to come down as new figures showed it is the only area in Norfolk where the Covid infection rate has risen. Coronavirus cases have dropped across almost all of Norfolk for the last seven days in February for which figures are available. Data from Public Health England shows the only area to record an increase is Great Yarmouth. For the seven days to February the 17th, the infection rate is highest in the resort, where case numbers saw an increase of 8% on the previous week. Kings Lynn and West Norfolk saw the biggest drop of 42%, the rate plummeting from 187.6 per 100,000 to 109.7 in seven days. North Norfolk has the lowest rate of 47.7 after a 28% drop. Overall, Norfolk's infection rate has dropped week on week by 24% to 99.3% per 100,000, the lowest it has been since December the 4th. Norwich has also seen a significant reduction of 38%, bringing the rate down to 118.1. All nine districts, including East Suffolk, saw a fall in the weekly rates of coronavirus. Yarmouth's 8% increase, however, sees its rate jump from 129.9 for the week ending February the 10th to 140.9 for the next seven days bucking the trend, which shows broadly that the virus is being beaten back by the lockdown and vaccination rollout. Carl Smith, leader of Great Yarmouth Borough Council, said, Though there had been a small spike, the rate across Yarmouth had dropped significantly overall, and there was no need for alarm. He said there was no known cause or specific outbreak fueling the increase and that he was confident the rate would come down. It's going to come down, he said. There's no real thing behind it, just that more people are getting tested. There's nothing we can put our finger on. All we ask is for our residents who have been absolutely fantastic to continue to follow the rules. There is light at the end of the tunnel. COVID-19 Norfolk death toll passes 1,500. The number of people who have died after testing positive for coronavirus in Norfolk hospitals has now passed 1,500. The confirmation of 36 new deaths in the week leading up to February the 23rd took the county's virus death toll to 1,513. More than half of all COVID hospital deaths in Norfolk have happened since January the 1st with 819 recorded since then. So far, 85 people who had tested positive for coronavirus have died at the Norwich Hospital this month. 
the hospital recorded 300 virus deaths in January, the highest monthly figure since the start of the pandemic. The James Paget University Hospital has seen 75 COVID deaths so far this month, compared to last month's record of 112 deaths. The Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Kings Lynn has reported 67 deaths this month. It too saw the most deaths in one month in January when 143 people with the virus died. In all, 582 virus patients died in Norfolk hospitals in January, more than double the 254 deaths seen in April last year. 237 patients have died so far this month, with more COVID deaths recorded in the first two months of 2021 than all previous deaths combined. But data shows infection rates and admissions of virus patients to hospital are tumbling across the county. Care home deaths have also fallen sharply, with 32 recorded in the week leading up to February the 19th, down from a record of 103 in the last week in January. Last week, Norfolk County Council's Public Health Chief, Dr Louise Smith, said she was confident the weeks ahead would see numbers of deaths continue to fall, both in hospitals and care homes. Dr Smith said of the overall figures, deaths in hospital are now coming down while length of stays in intensive care units is getting longer. We are also seeing the number of outbreaks in care homes coming down, and that will be associated with a reduction in the number of deaths. Since the start of the pandemic, there have been 623 deaths at the NNUH, 362 at James Paget, 453 at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, and 75 in the region's community hospitals. Council tax increase agreed amid warning over squeeze on the most vulnerable. People in Great Yarmouth will pay an average of £77.85 more in council tax this year, though for some villages the figure will be much higher. At a full meeting of Great Yarmouth Borough Council on Tuesday, the budget was approved by a majority of seven, with 15 opposition councillors abstaining. Leader Carl Smith said the budget had been put together under the constraints of Covid, but there was still plenty of manoeuvre for project investment, town centre regeneration, business recovery and help for the communities most vulnerable. He said more than £44 million had been paid in business grants since March last year, £1.3 million to residents in need of council tax support and £150,000 in self-isolation payments. A one-off Covid support grant of £746,000 was also gifted to the borough by central government in December. Mr Smith then explained council tax for the borough's element will see a £5 hike for a band D property and 3.33 pence for a band A, noting this was one of the lowest increases in Norfolk. But the increase comes in addition to parish council tax increases. 
a 3.99% increase in Norfolk County Council's tax precept and a 5.86% increase in the Police and Crime Commissioner's precept. This brings the total average tax bill for each Bandy household to £1,940.40 in 21-22, up from £1,862.55 the year before. Labour councillors, however, said not enough was being done to combat food bank reliance or those who live in untenable housing, claiming 10 years of Tory austerity had weakened Great Yarmouth's economy. Labour leader Trevor Wainwright called the tax increase a nail in the coffin for those families and said some of the parish precept increases took some getting used to. For example, in Hemsby, the parish precept has increased by nearly 56%, that's £21.10 on the previous year, and in Ormsby St Michael, 43.68%, that's £8.45. He said, these increases might not mean much to our twin-hatted conservatory councillors on allowances in excess of £40,000 plus expenses, but it means a lot to normal people who've already taken a huge financial hit. Labour's Mike Smith-Clare and UKIP's Carrie Talbot agreed, saying council tax increases along with a reduction in seasonal work will have an accumulative effect on households living in poverty. Conservative councillor Paul Wells said he did not recognise the Victorian hellscape and Tory ravaging dystopia presented by opposition councillors' fantastic rhetoric. We have one choice on the table, he said, and that's the Conservative one. More news in just a while, but first, a tale from Andy about the ghost of the A12. Hello, this is Andy with another of the Weird Norfolk series of stories. And this one concerns the old man of Hopton, who apparently stalks the A47. Sea frets have often blurred the lines between this world and the next, and one such creature to appear from the mist is the old man of Hopton, who stalks the A47 in front of terrified drivers, some of whom claim to have driven straight through him. In the winter edition of The Lantern, in 1980, the tale of a lowest off man on the new A12 Hopton Bypass was reported. Frank Colby of the British Transport Police was driving with his wife when he saw a man crossing the dual carriageway at Hopton. Stocky in build and wearing a calf-length shapeless garment, he was hunched over and wearing fantastically huge footwear and he was lifting them well up as he plodded across, reported Mr Colby to investigator Ivan Bunn. Swiftly breaking, Mr Colby alerted his wife to the figure, but she was unable to see it. He watched the man cross to the central reservation before disappearing. Mr Bunn passed the story, along with his own research about the ghostly stretch of the A12, 
to the Lowestoft Journal and the tale appeared on Christmas Eve. It, the figure, appeared to have a greyish, misty-white appearance, said Mr Bunn. When this strange figure reached the centre of the carriageway, Mr Colby suddenly realised that he could see the broken line marking the centre of the carriageway continuing straight through the figure. One of the earliest recorded stories of Hopton's jaywalking ghost came from Roger Hammersley of Lowestoft, who, at the beginning of 1957, was driving in convoy with a friend, Mr Gardner, from Yarmouth to their home. Just before midnight, on the old A12, now the A47, just south of Hopton, both men separately saw what Mr Hammersley described as the figure of a man wearing a very large boots, a large fawn overcoat and a hat, crossing the road in front of them. He drove close to the tall figure before realising it was no longer there, although he did not remember seeing it actually disappear. During an interview with Mr Bunn, Mr Hammersley admitted that many times prior to this encounter, he had often felt distinctly uneasy driving along this particular stretch of the road. And after seeing the ghost back in 1957, he avoided the Hopton stretch of the A12 whenever he could. A year after Mr Colby saw the spectral figure in Hopton in November 1981, Andrew Kudajar were driving on a wet and miserable night from Lowestoft to Great Yarmouth, when, as he approached Hopton, he spotted grey mist in the middle of the carriageway ahead. As he drove closer, the mist took the form of a man, tall and dressed in a long coat or cape coming well past his knees. He had old-fashioned heavy lace-up boots and had long straggly grey hair. The figure stood stock still in the middle of the road, and as Kudajar frantically tried to brake to avoid hitting him, his car skidded out of control and straight through the figure, coming to a stop on the grass verge facing the wrong way. One theory put forward as to the identity of the figure is that it is William Balls, Hopton's postman, who worked himself to death in January 1899, having spent 22 years serving the village. He was found in a field close to where the hauntings occur, at 10.30am on January the 2nd, lying face down in a pool of blood having succumbed to pneumonia which he had developed from winter flu. He was buried at Hopton Church, the ruins of which can be seen from the road. Ivan Bull was told about Mr Balls by Gwen Balls. The postman was her husband's grandfather, who died aged just 40 and who had been warned by his doctor just days beforehand that he would die without rest. What am I to do? I must do my duty, he replied. On the day of his death, as usual, he set off on his 16-mile round at 6am and worked until 9.30am, at which point he started for home and a rest before restarting work at 4.20. He was found in his farmer's field by a farm worker and left behind a pregnant wife, Angelina. Is William, the phantom pedestrian postman on the A47, striding out to make one last delivery? Thanks, Andy. Second part of the news coming up followed very closely 
by her look back at 1962. And so, it's over to Margaret. Grave concerns over bid to charge for parking at Roman Fort. Proposed charges for parking at an ancient site popular with walkers has prompted concerns about the impact on local roads. Norfolk Archaeological Trust has announced it is considering fees for visitors who use the car park at the Roman Fort in Borough Castle. Natalie Butler, director, said the plan had been forced on the Trust as a last resort as a result of diminished funds. We need to raise more money urgently so that our sites continue to be protected, safe and accessible for visitors, she said. And while local councillors both at county and parish level have expressed sympathy with the Trust's position, they are predicting the end of free parking would lead visitors to avoid the car park altogether and instead park on neighbouring roads. Carl Smith, Norfolk County Councillor, said he was totally against the proposed charges. People won't use the car park and it will cause serious problems around the site on Butt Lane, Church Road and the Church Triangle, he said. He added, I'd be willing to speak with the Trust to see if there is any other way to get funding. Brian Swan, Chairman of Borough Castle Parish Council, said, Everybody on the Parish Council is against it. We have grave concerns over the impact it will have on parking on the roads, both in terms of safety and general disruption. We know they need to raise money, but this is going to be a major issue. The Parish Council will keep talking to the Trust and hopefully there will be a solution. The proposed charges are up to one hour a pound, up to four hours £3, all day until 8pm £5. The Trust manages 10 sites across Norfolk with a total budget of approximately £88,000. But Miss Butler said that funding restraints were having a negative impact on the standard of maintenance at the sites. In 2016, a change in farm payment schemes resulted in a decrease of funding from just over £6,000 to £2,700 annually for upkeep and conservation at Borough Castle. This has already had an impact on the level of repair and maintenance we can complete each year, the director said. Oh, and food now, my favourite subject. <laughs> now, Deliveroo to launch in Great Yarmouth as demand soars during the pandemic. Food delivery company Deliveroo is on the lookout for couriers in Great Yarmouth, where the service is due to launch later next month. The company announced in January it was looking to reach 100 more towns and cities as demand for its delivery service soared during the pandemic. Although not included on the list announced at the time, the company has relieved it is expanding into Great Yarmouth and wanting to take on riders, often cyclists, to deliver food from restaurants and grocery retailers to customers ordering at the touch of a button. The work is being billed as a great opportunity for people who have other commitments, such as existing work or students who are looking for flexible work to fit around study. 
It's also a good way to keep fit and earn money at the same time, the statement said. The company says it has seen rider demand soar this year and now works with 50,000 riders across the UK. It adds, rider satisfaction has never been as high, in part due to the vital role that riders are carrying out in their communities as key workers and the strong public support they have received during the pandemic. To keep riders safe while out on the road, the company offers all riders free medical insurance as well as free training courses for riders and their families. Harrison Foster, Deliveroo's UK Regional Director said, we've seen a huge demand for Deliveroo in Great Yarmouth and we're excited to be launching next month. We're really excited to be creating new work opportunities for local people. The team is looking for people with passion, drive and great customer service who are seeking the added benefit of flexible work among other perks. Deliveroo customers have the option to schedule orders via the app up to one day in advance or receive food as soon as possible from independent eateries, traditional takeaways, high quality chain restaurants, supermarkets and food and grocery retailers. Deliveroo says its arrival in Great Yarmouth will be a major boost to local businesses who will be able to reach new customers and grow their offering through delivery. Out there, wheels and fire on the water festivals poised to go ahead in 2021. The arts charity behind one of Great Yarmouth's most successful festivals has confirmed it will be going ahead as well as one other. Following the announcement that large live events could go ahead again from June the 21st, providing the government's four tests are met, the team behind the Out There Festival has confirmed it will be coming back in September. Out There Arts, formerly Sea Change, will also be staging Fire on the Water, a 15-day immersive experience in the autumn after it was postponed from March. The event is billed as being full of dramatic outdoor arts, hypnotic water projections and shining installations, warming the hearts of all who spectate. A statement said it was extremely likely everything would be back on since Monday's roadmap announcement. It went on, the Out There Festival is set to return this September, with some expected adjustments to the footprint and social distancing restrictions remaining. An ever formidable or inspiring circus and outdoor performance event will be delivered. The organisation said it was also keen to continue with its Circus in the Park sessions and Family Saturdays, which both proved popular last year. Joe McIntosh, Artistic Director of Out There Arts, said, we're going to try and deliver as much participatory and artistic activities as possible, whilst being sensibly cautious and responding to the situation as it develops. He added, last summer we experienced great success with a programme of free, engaging activity in St George's Park. We hope to build on that again this year and follow up with a much desired edition of the Out There Festival 
and the additional extra special pyrotechnic experience beginning in the autumn. Meanwhile, things are looking hopeful for the Borough and Council organised Wheels Festival. Carl Smith, the council leader, said, if the Wheels Festival is able to return in 2021, and that is very much our intention as organiser, then it will be slightly later in the year once we have had that greater certainty from government on when large events can definitely happen. He added, we would encourage anyone hoping to organise events in the borough to get in touch to discuss their aspirations and get advice around event management and coronavirus. The Maritime Festival and Seafront Fireworks are run by GYTABIA and we are liaising with them around their aspirations. Bid to bulldoze village bric-a-brac shop draws concerns. A bid to demolish a corner shop full of china and collectibles and add two flats has drawn a flurry of opposition. Under the plans, the single-storey Treasure Island on the corner of Tan Lane and Laken Road in Caister, for many years a branch of Olivet's wool shops, will be knocked down and a new two-storey building put up in its place. Drawings submitted to Great Yarmouth Borough Council show a one-bedroom flat on the ground floor and a two-bedroom one above, with off-road parking for one vehicle. Five people have objected, citing a range of reasons spanning parking, drainage and flooding risks, blocking natural light and access to a pathway. One respondent tagged it totally out of character for a lovely village. Another said it would be short-sighted and irresponsible to put more pressure on roads in an already congested area. Great Yarmouth Borough Council's official tourism website describes Treasure Island as a cavern of collectibles, crockery and interesting second-hand items. A decision is due by April the 2nd. Complaints over smell from bird droppings sparks extra street cleaning. The council has promised additional cleaning after complaints about thousands of starlings defecating on cars and houses. The birds have been roosting in trees in Kent Square in Great Yarmouth since the winter of 2017. But last year residents reported they were having to wash their cars and windows every day and that the smell of the droppings was becoming a problem. At the time, the Borough Council said it would carry out a survey of the area to assess whether additional cleaning of the pavements was necessary. Michael Johnson, 39, who lives on neighbouring York Road, was one of the residents who first flagged up the matter. He said, in the last week of November 2020, the flock came back but with not as many as the year before. After a month, the flock became larger and larger, to the point where it looks like a scene out of the birds. While some of the starlings are local, their numbers are supplemented during winter months by migration from the European continent. In January, Mr Johnson contacted the council again about the smell 
but said he received no response. A month later and still nothing has been done. The smell is gut-wrenching after it rains. The grass is dead and the trees are starting to die and the area is starting to turn green. Roofs, roads and pathways. The houses all look a mess and you can't clean because the next day it's covered again. You can't have the windows open because of the smell, he added. In a statement, the borough council said, we understand the nuisance of the mess caused by roosting birds in that area. However, this is a natural phenomenon that happens seasonally and both the birds and the trees are part of the natural environment over which we have no control. To assist residents, we have arranged for additional cleansing of the pavements to ensure the risk of slips is reduced while we investigate whether there are any suitable long-term solutions for the town, which won't simply result in the birds moving on to another residential street in the area. The starlings moved to the square after a person slipped on accumulated bird faeces in St George's Park, where the birds had been roosting, and the borough council used a laser device to deter them from there. Now, I've been having a meander through the pages of the Great Yarmouth Mercury from March 1962. I thought that's a bit lighter reading. <laughs> the first headline that caught my eye was Yarmouth Man in 30,000 mile round trip around the world. A 23-year-old man from Yarmouth is to be one of a party of five young men who are setting off from Lowestoft on a 30,000 mile trip around the world which they estimate will take them three years. He is Roy Thompson of South Beach Parade, an office worker. The project all began when he read an advert in the personal column asking, are you looking for adventure? It was inserted by Lowestoft car salesman, Idwal Walters. The East Anglian Overlanders, as they have called themselves, will set off on a trip that will take them through 20 countries including India, Australia and the United States. Each of the five has put £100 into the expedition and about half this capital has gone into buying a vehicle and transport. Now two other people with itchy feet. This time the headline was Local Girls on Work Trip to Canada. Two local girls who left their family homes in Yarmouth and Belton last April to go on a working trip to Canada are now planning to move on to the United States before returning to Norfolk at the end of this year. They are Marion Botwright and Wendy North, both 24. They started in Montreal in a packing factory for the Hudson Bay Company and are now currently working in a beauty salon in Ontario. Well, I wonder where they are now. Did they ever come home? Who knows? <laughs> and the weather now, it's snow. Yes, even back in 1962, it snowed. Right, March the 16th, 1962, saw the heaviest snowfall of the winter when a cloak of white enveloped Yarmouth after one and a half inches of snow had fallen. Four people who I'm sure never worried about the weather, now the headline was, 
icy start for Broad's honeymooners. Two couples started their honeymoon on the Broad's on Sunday. Cold winds and ice greeted them. Now, if you were a shop assistant in Barkers in 1962, you could earn three shillings an hour for a 44 hour week. And how could you spend it? Well, Co-op had some special offers on. Corned beef, two and tenpence a tin. Marrow fat peas, fivepence halfpenny a tin. Panyan pickle, one and eightpence per jar. Marmalade, one and tuppence per jar. And a twin pack of toilet rolls, one and sixpence. And evaporated milk, one shilling per tin. Now, was it me or did everybody else of that generation enjoy tinned peaches and evaporated milk for Sunday tea? Now, good old Arnold's, always bargains there, they were selling the Playtex Trimline Girdle, which shapes you gently, naturally, to a live young line. Gives you neat, trim hips, smooth thighs. Supple latex with downy soft cotton next to your skin holds you firmly, leaves you free. Petal pink and white, adjustable suspenders, 45 shillings. Well, I'm just gonna leave it there. <laughs> I wonder if it'll hold in my lockdown flab. <sighs> Pass on that. Now, what were you listening to in March, 1962? Some of the hits were Dream Baby by Roy Orbison, Crying in the Rain by the Everleys, Love Letters by Ketty Lester, and Tell Star by the Tornadoes. Home oh, my lost youth.
The Tornadoes with Telstar from 1962 and the tortured genius that was Joe Meek. OK, let's have the third part of the news. Man threatens delivery driver with knife. A man was arrested after threatening a delivery driver with a knife. Police were called to Alderson Road in Great Yarmouth on Sunday, February the 21st after a man in his 40s wielded a bladed article at a delivery driver at 3.30pm. The man was arrested and questioned at the town's investigation centre before being released under investigation. One eyewitness said he was fixing his car when he saw a delivery van turn into Alderson Road at about 3.15pm. He said there was a commotion with the driver speeding away and a neighbour saying police had been called. He said, we were all told to stay in the house because firearms were there. A man was arrested pretty soon after police arrived, but they were still trying to gain entry via the front and back of the house until about 5.10pm. There were police blocking both ends of Alderson Road and Apollo Walk, with at least six police vehicles on scene. A Norfolk police spokesperson said inquiries are ongoing. It's full on. Mum turns fortunes around with lockdown business. A mother of two who found herself in debt due to cancelled gigs after lockdown has turned her fortunes around with a home run business selling personalised gifts. Last year was set to be the busiest ever 12 months for Bradwell-based face painter Carla Grand. The 36-year-old had taken bookings for a string of events, including birthdays and music festivals like Latitude. I had taken loads of deposits, Miss Grand said, but then in March, with the lockdown, I was like, well, I can't face paint because I can't get near anybody. I thought, what am I going to do? I had to find money to refund everybody. She was not entitled to a government grant because she hadn't been self-employed for long enough. But she had always run another small business selling personalised gifts. It was always as a hobby, just a bit of fun, she said. With face painting falling apart last year, though, I had started to push this little business more. The advertisements were shared on social media and with word of mouth she began getting requests from people for gifts. Not that it's been easy. During the day, Miss Grand homeschools her two sons, four and six years old, while at night she clocks in at the spare bedroom, which her husband had converted into a workshop, where she sits at her vinyl cutter, heat press, mug presses and printers, and makes gifts, personalising mugs, cushions, t-shirts, anything. It's certainly full on. It's absolutely crazy, she said. I don't get much sleep. While I'm trying to sleep, I'm thinking of new ideas. My brain's like, I can do this, I can do that. But it's what I have to do, because I have to find this money to pay these people back. It's hard because I have my two little boys as well. It's been a challenge, but the hard work is starting to pay off. And I may not even go back to face painting now, 
as this has become my main business. Quite an adventure. Missing Owl founding kitchen 20 miles away. An escaped Bradwell Barn Owl has been reunited with her owner after turning up in a Malbarton kitchen six days and 2,700 Facebook shares later. Willow the Barn Owl was rehomed in Great Yarmouth by Ormerson Venture Academy's assistant principal, Spencer Doggett, a year and a half ago, after the previous owner was unable to look after her. Having spent her life in captivity, never learning to fly, and only flying five feet at a time in her garden aviary, Mr Doggett feared she'd starve or be eaten after she escaped on the evening of 14th of February. But against all odds, she turned up a week later in a Malbarton kitchen. Having managed to fend for herself and somehow cover a 20 mile distance in the wind and rain. The 45 year old said, it was so cold over Valentine's weekend that we took her inside. As I was returning her to her aviary, the door of the cat carrier got caught in a branch. It swung open and just like that, she was gone. He said, someone said they saw a barn owl in Borough Castle. So we drove up there four days in a row looking for her. Then we were told a barn owl was sighted in Pouringland, but dismissed the idea she'd travelled that far. Turns out she was in Pouringland after all, making her way from Bradwell to Mulbarton. Kevin Murphy, who owns Norfolk Wildlife Rescue from Norwich, received the call from the neighbour of Willow House on Saturday, the home in which the owl had flown through the window of. He said she was sitting on the kitchen island letting everyone stroke her. After taking her to my house, I got a call from Spencer and he provided me with the correct documentation so I could make sure the owl was his. We organised to meet up on Sunday, February the 21st. It was like seeing a father reunited with his child. It was an uncanny coincidence that she got into the window of a willow house. When I first took her home, she was exhausted after flying for six days straight. She's been on quite an adventure and the support she's had from everyone has been brilliant. I loved my house. Properties days away from demolition for New Bridge. Houses that stand in the way of Great Yarmouth's new £120 million bridge are days away from being torn down. A terrace of 10 houses in Queen Anne's Road and a block of nine, numbers 148 to 156 in Southtown Road, are all boarded up and their gardens are being stripped away. Some bear the signs of recent occupation, with NHS rainbows looking out from living room windows. The last families having moved out as recently as December. Lisa Manning, a domestic supervisor at Gorston's James Paget University Hospital, whose home was compulsory purchased by Norfolk County Council a decade ago, said it was sad, adding, I loved my house in Southtown and the memories we had. So far, the homes have been soft stripped, 
with wrecking teams set to move in and flatten them at the end of next week. The houses in South Town Road have a date stone of 1873, proclaiming them Brighton Terrace. The Third River Crossing is billed as among the County Council's most significant infrastructure development. It will link the A47 at Harfrey's Roundabout to the Port and Enterprise Zone on the other side of the river and is due to be operational by early 2023. Construction work began last month with more than 50 local employment and training opportunities being created by the main contractor BAM Farrens, a statement said. Martin Wilby, the County Council's Cabinet Member for Highways, Infrastructure and Transport, hailed the activity and said the new crossing would make it much easier for people living and working in the borough to get around and provide crucial support to the town's key industries. This is more important than ever now as we seek to help Norfolk's economy recover from the effects of the coronavirus pandemic, he added. A government contribution of £98 million was confirmed in November 2020, following the conclusion of a year-long development consent order process. Work includes the upgrading of William Adams Way and the construction of a new roundabout. A pedestrian diversion will be in place throughout the works and the finished project will see a number of walking and cycling improvements, including the installation of a new pedestrian crossing on William Adams Way. The homes in Queen Anne's Road will be the first to be demolished. Homelessness charity sets sights on Yarmouth Town Centre House. A house in Great Yarmouth could be used as a springboard for young people escaping the clutches of homelessness. The property, a residential dwelling on Absley Road, is currently under consideration for a change of use, which would cover up to six people living together as a single household and receiving care. The bid is part of a project run by Norfolk charity, the Benjamin Foundation, in partnership with Solo Housing and Great Yarmouth Borough Council to tackle youth homelessness in the area. The charity's anchorage service works with private landlords. In this case, Richard and Claire Lilly of Norwich-based Lilly Investments Limited to provide safe and affordable accommodation. According to a document supporting the application, the house would offer five large bedrooms for single occupancy to people between the ages of 18 and 30. A spokesperson for the Benjamin Foundation said, Subject to planning, we welcome the opportunity to work with Richard and Claire Lilly of Lilly Investments Limited on the property in Absley Road to provide an important springboard to brighter futures for young people in the town. Keeping it local, Broad's pub shop expands after lockdown success. A shop in a pub has expanded to four times its original size after proving a hit during lockdown. Alison Brewster of the Ferry Inn in Stokesby said she had been blown away by its success after a mix of daily supplies and homemade cakes and treats 
saw her go from pint pulling to grocery packing. Now the shop, which opened during the pandemic last year, has expanded into the former pool room, offering a bigger range, including local crafts and food, as well as Mrs Brewster's famous homemade chocolates, which sell out most days. Mrs Brewster hailed the support of the local community, adding she was proud to be able to offer the Lifeline service and provide a platform for other local businesses. The shop in the village closed in 2018, she said, so we had a year without a shop at all. I decided to open one and then Covid hit and I wasn't sure if I could do it at all or wait until the pub reopened and the boating trade came back. But every time I walked the dogs round the village, people kept asking when I was going to open, so I decided to just do it. Initially, the shop was going to be seasonal, but because of demand, it will now be year-round. Because of Covid, it became more about the local community, she said. In the end, we opened the shop when there were no boats. The shop stocks basic provisions as well as fresh fruit and veg. Having more space means they can also sell the chocolates which Mrs Brewster is sometimes up all night making, as well as crafts made in the village like wax melts and paper crafts, and also dog biscuits made nearby. We weren't expecting it to be as popular as it had been at all, she added. We weren't even sure if we should open or if we should just wait. But we've just been blown away. We're really chuffed. On the pub side, she said Boris Johnson's lockdown announcement on Monday was better than she thought it would be, giving a clear timeline to work to. All being well, under the road map, she plans to reopen the pub garden on April the 12th. Well, there's something to look forward to. Burglar jailed for stealing illegal cigarettes worth £22,000. A man was caught trying to steal a haul of illegal cigarettes worth more than £22,000. Horbash Hassan, 26, drove from his home in Kent where he met with a group of four other men to carry out the cigarette raid on premises in King Street, Great Yarmouth. Giles Fleming, prosecuting at Norwich Crown Court, said the police had got an anonymous tip-off about the burglary and arrived on the scene as the raid was taking place. He said while two from the group escaped, they arrested Hassan and two other men at the scene, who were later released without charge. Mr Fleming said the cigarettes were illegal as they did not conform to UK standards and a haul worth more than £22,000 was found loaded in a van and more cigarettes were also found on the premises. He said he did not know if the cigarettes had been smuggled into the UK or were fake brands. It was a planned and professional operation. The premises were targeted with the knowledge of the contents. Hassan claimed he was taking the cigarettes because he was owed wages by the owner. Hassan, of no fixed address, admitted burglary on November the 14th last year. 
He also admitted possession of an offensive weapon and criminal damage on January this year in Kent. Matthew Sorrell Cameron for Hassan said that he'd got involved in the burglary to get back money he was owed. He was taking matters into his own hands. The loss to the victim was the loss of criminal activity, Mr Sorrell Cameron said. He said that Hassan was an asylum seeker who had fled Iran. He was living an itinerant lifestyle. Jailing him for 10 months, Judge Stephen Holt said Hassan was part of a group who had carried out the burglary. He said that when police acted on a tip-off, they had found Hassan carrying two bags of the cigarettes and others loaded into a van. He said this was a planned professional operation targeting premises. You travelled up from Kent and a van would have been used to remove the cigarettes. The items you stole were illegal items. Now this is quite an important thing, so um, I'll read out the phone numbers and contacts again at the end of this news item. And the headline is, Warning over Royal Mail Fake Text Scam. Watchdogs have warned Norfolk people to watch out for scam texts claiming to be from Royal Mail. Officers in Norfolk County Council's Trading Standards Department had number of reports about the texts from people in the county. The texts claim people must pay for a Royal Mail package with a link to make that payment or actions will be taken. But trading standards officers warned anyone clicking on the link will be taken to a fake version of the Royal Mail website which has been created to fool people by using the same branding, layout and font choices. This site will then attempt to gather personal and financial details. Our advice is always to be wary of claims made in unexpected messages and never click on any links or open attachments contained within them. People can forward messages, including the phone number or company name, to 7726 for free, while they can also be reported on 0808 223 1133 and I'll just say those numbers again. You can text to 7726 for free and the number to ring is 0808 223 1133. So please just take care and don't part with your money, <laughs> please. Right and that's it from me for another week. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves and we'll be with you hopefully next week. Bye. Well, that's all from this edition of Grapevine. The recording is copyright 2021 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The news content is adapted mainly from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. 
Next week's newsreader will be Aileen, and we hope that we can look forward to welcoming you once again for much more of your local news. In the meantime, from all at Grapevine, we hope that you stay well and safe, and as we glory in the luxury of the spring-like sunshine, it's bye for now.